privilege from hearing from Lauren tonight, this afternoon. So will you help me welcoming her up to stage, as you're doing, thank you. Oh, thanks, Cal. This is so wobbly. Okay. Am I doing something wrong, Dave? No? Okay, we'll carry on. Friends, as Calvin said, my name is Lauren, and I've had the pleasure of meeting a lot of you, but if I haven't, welcome to New Life this afternoon. It is such an honor to be bringing the word. Should I just hold this like this? It's a good look. Um, I have a smaller head than Michael, obviously. <laughs> Didn't mean it like that, but <laughs> thank you for laughing. <laughs> now it sounds like I have a big head. But anyway... How great has it been to walk through the book of Genesis together over these last six or so weeks? I came from a church where that's kind of all we did was walk through books of the Bible, and so it's been really special for my heart. Um, yeah. I gave it a go. Look. Let's do this. All right, is that better? Hello. All right, we're back. Come on, how good is technology? It's funny, actually, we're talking about the Tower of Babel tonight, which um, is actually a form of technological advancement um, that we find after the ark, which is like the first thing that humanity builds. So anyway, that's a fun fact that you didn't ask for. Um, if you have a Bible with you this afternoon, we're going to actually make use of that. So grab that if you've got a phone with you. Um, Genesis chapter 11 is where we are at. Before we actually read that through, though, I know that there's some of us who haven't been here every week, or some of us are brand new, which is incredible. Welcome to you guys. It is wonderful to have you with us. And so I thought it'd be good just to start our time by going backwards, just a couple of steps in our story to some of the things that we discovered last week. So last week, Pastor Mike, he moved us through this huge story of Noah and the flood. And I would say definitely go back and listen to the podcast of that because the story of Noah and the ark is actually quite different than the story you may remember. If the last time you heard it was when you were a child or if you've only watched it or heard about it through pop culture, things like Evan Almighty, it's not exactly what happens. So go back, listen to that podcast. Um, and so what we're going to do is pick up from the end of that flood narrative in Genesis chapter 9. So Genesis 9, 1 says, Then God blessed Noah and his sons, saying to them, Be fruitful and increase in number and fill the earth. Move down to verse number 7. As for you, same thing to Noah and his sons, be fruitful, increase in number, multiply on the earth, and increase upon it. Now, does this sound familiar to anybody? A little bit. If you go back a few chapters to chapter one, right after God creates mankind in his own image, in verse 28, chapter one, God says, God blessed them and he said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. And so what's happening here in chapter nine is that God reinstates this mandate that he gave to Adam and Eve. He gives this back to Noah in the same way, but our context is a little bit different, right? Because now to Noah, there's just been this ginormous flood that's wiped out everything on earth except for Noah and his family. 
And so what does God do? He represents the same message. But he says, now you've seen the disastrous effects of human sin. You've felt the weight of that. You see how I feel about sin. But invitation remains the same. My command remains the same. My character remains the same. My heart for humanity remains the same. The question is, will you choose obedience this time? Will you accept this mission? Will you take up this mission and actually partner with me this time? And so then we move to chapter 10, where we have this thing called the Table of Nations. This podcast that I was listening to calls it an ethnographic map, which is very smart. You have to listen to that for what it actually means. But ethno, ethnicity, graph, oh my gosh, graph, <laughs> um, graphic, graph. So it's a graph of all of the ethnicities as they spread out across the world through Noah's three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Now, when we read three parts of this chapter 10, I want you to listen for the word language or look for the word language. Okay, so at the end of Yarfa's story in 10 verse 5, it says, From these, the maritime people spread out in their own territory by their clans within their nations, each with their own language. Well done. Go down to verse 18. This is the story of um, the second brother, Ham. Later, the Canaanite clan scattered, and the borders of Canaan reached from Sidon towards Gerar, as far as Gaza, then towards Sodom, Gomorrah, a few other places. Verse 20, these are the sons of Ham by their class and languages in their territories and nations. And then over to verse 31, these are the sons of Shem by their clans and by their languages in their territories and nations. Now, what does this look like? It looks like obedience, right? Chapter 9, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth. And then here in chapter 10, we see three instances where that's exactly what Noah's sons do. They go out, they fill the earth, they multiply. But there's this introduction of the word language, which begs us to ask the question, where did language come from? Not something that I often ponder, but here we are. What I get from this text is that God's command was to increase in geography, to increase in population, but to maintain a common purpose in faithfulness to God and also to maintain a common language with which to communicate that purpose. And so what appears to be obedience to God's command in chapter 9 or reinstated from Genesis 1 actually has kind of a sinister feel to it now that we point this out. It kind of, it looks like humanity has learned its lesson and what um, then chapter 11 does, it's actually not chronological. Does that blow your brain? It blew mine. It's actually not chronological. It's kind of like um, a flashback, like in a movie or a TV show where you have all of this stuff happen and then you're like, hang on, how did this happen? It's like a flashback that sits in between chapters 9 and 10 that lets us know, even after the flood, even after God's incredible warning to humanity about the severity and the consequence of our sin, even after all that, we actually find that we are no better off after than we were before. The heart of the human condition is still exactly the same as it is tracing right back to Adam and Eve. We take almost what God has said. We take most of what God has said. 
and then we change it just a little bit to suit our own purpose. I might be the only one here, maybe not, but I think I still know how to decide what's best for me. I still believe that I know better than anybody else, especially God, about my own life. I still believe that I can take parts of what God says, parts of what he's commanded, and still call it obedience, because it's mostly true. It's mostly there. I still believe that I can aim high, that I can build myself a tower, that I can make a name for myself, I can achieve all these great things. I still sometimes believe that I don't need God's help to do it. Maybe I'm alone, maybe I'm not. I'll leave that one up to you. And so as we move through our text tonight, as I offer you some thoughts and some observations, what I want you to keep in the front of your mind, what I'm gonna try and keep in the front of mind is this question, what's wrong with aiming high? Because this isn't just a story about disobedient people thousands of years ago. It's actually a story about me. It's actually a story about you. Proverbs 14, 12 says, There is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way to death. Uplifting way to start, right? But, friends, whether you love Jesus, whether you know Jesus, whether this is your first time in a church, Something that we believe about our God is that his desire for humanity is the total opposite to death. It's actually life and life to the full. And so will you join me in prayer? Because I need the Spirit's help tonight. We all need the Spirit's help tonight because for a lot of us, the things that we're trying to do, they seem really good and right, but they're not. And they're not leading to life, they're leading to death. And so will you pray with me um, Yeah, as we ask for, for help to see this differently tonight? Come Holy Spirit, I need your help tonight. There are so many things that seem right to me, that seem right to us, but all that we taste from them, all that I've tasted from them is death and separation and bitterness and pain. And so Father, would you show us the way to life tonight? Would you show us how obedience leads us in a better way, a higher way, a harder way, yes, but a way everlasting? Soften our hearts, humble our minds, open our eyes, let us, let us have ears that hear what the Spirit is saying to us tonight. That each of us in our becoming more like Jesus, that we would see your kingdom come, your will be done here in Brisbane as it is in heaven. Take us from death to life. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Genesis 11, let's go there. It will be on the screen as well if you don't have access to one in front of you or can't share with somebody else. Now the whole world had one language and a common speech. Tuck that one away. As people moved eastwards, they found a plain in Shinar and settled there. They said to each other, come, let us make bricks and bake them thoroughly. They used brick instead of stone and tar for mortar. Then they said, come, let us build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens so that we may make a name for ourselves. Otherwise, we'll be scattered over the face of the whole earth. But the Lord came down to see the city and the tower the people were building. The Lord said, if as one people speaking the same language, they have begun to do this, then nothing they plan to do will be impossible for them. Come, let us go down and confuse their language so they will not understand each other. So the Lord scattered them from all over the earth, and they stopped building the city. 
That is why it was called Babel, Babel, because there the Lord confused the language of the whole world. And from there, the Lord scattered them over the face of the whole earth. Now, remember how I mentioned that chapter 11 slots in as this flashback between 9 and 10? Here's why. Because 11 says, now the whole world has one language and a common speech. But we've just read in chapter 10 that there's actually multiple different languages. It's hard to imagine. I think there's like six and a half thousand different languages. I'm probably really wrong on that. That was just something Google said. Sounds good. We'll go with that for now. Come talk to me later if that's way off. But it's hard to imagine a time before that where there was only one, right? Has anyone ever thought about that before? I haven't. Just (laughs) throw myself under the bus. But what this points to is that language not just relationship with God, not just realizing we're naked, not just pain in having babies or working the ground. Language is another way that the curse affected humanity. These multitudes of languages are one of two moments, In the next one will come in a second, for us to be certain that the scattering that was brought about in the end of chapter um, 10 was not actually out of obedience to what God had asked but that something else actually had to happen for humanity to be obedient obedient, and multiply and fill the earth. If we read verse 2, here's the second thing. As people move eastwards, they found a plain in Shinar and they settled there. The second thing is that the people move. Again, hints of obedience, right? They move somewhere, but what happens next? They decide they've gone far enough. They're like, no, I'm done. I'm tired. And they settle. They make camp. They make a city. They decide that their obedience to God is going to have a limit. Anyone else do that? Just me? No. (laughs) Verse 3. They said to each other, come, let us bake bricks, make bricks, and bake them thoroughly. They use brick instead of stone and tar for mortar. Now, Like we found out firsthand with all of our technological issues tonight, this is not God saying that he doesn't like technological advances. He's for it. Great. Gospel can go out on an app. I can read a computer. I can talk to you. There's people listening to this online in like three days' time. Great things. Really cool things. And it's also pretty cool that the first thing that gets built after the ark, humanity's like, oh, yeah, we have some new skills. I went to trade school. I did my apprenticeship. Let's move from boats to cities, boats to towers, cities to towers. But the problem is, not that they used all these cool things to their advantage necessarily, but it's what they used to do it and why they decided to do it. There's always something underneath that's actually the bigger and more important question, right? The building materials that they use here, they seem just like, yeah, cool, sounds like something they would have in that period of time, but they're actually a link back to Noah. Because to use baked bricks and then to cover them in tar meant this crazy structure was actually waterproof. Now, who needs a waterproof tower other than people who have just been flooded? Hmm, to put it a different way, Way, who needs waterproof bricks, even though God said to them this promise with a big bow in the sky, who still needs something that's going to keep them safe from a flood? People who are fearful. 
people who are afraid because they've misunderstood something. Let's go back to chapter 9 again from verse 8. Let's notice first who God's speaking to. It says, Then God said to Noah and to his sons who were with him. This is not just a promise that God made to Noah that didn't affect the generations to come. This seems like minute details, but it's important. God's covenant with Noah was also in the presence of his sons. This covenant was to reach all across the generations, not just for Noah. So verse 9 then says, I now establish my covenant with you and with your descendants after you. With every living creature that was with you, the birds, livestock, all the wild animals, all those that came out of the ark with you, every living creature on earth, I establish my covenant with you. Everyone, covenant is with you. Never again will all life be destroyed by the waters of a flood. Never again will there be a flood to destroy the earth. And so who builds a waterproof tower when this has been the promise that they've been given? They misunderstood God. They didn't take him at his word. They didn't believe him at his promise. And so remember that question that I asked you right at the start, what's wrong with aiming high? Here's one suggestion. They're aiming high that we find here. It's out of fear. It's out of mistrust. And it's out of not claiming and holding on to, believing in the promises of God. Verse 4, then they said, come let us build a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens so that we may make a name for ourselves. Otherwise, we will be scattered over the face of the whole earth. Four things that happen in this part of the story. One, come let us build ourselves a city. We've already said that that's in direct um, disagreement to what God's asked them to do and to actually spread out and multiply and fill the earth, build them a city. Second thing, with a tower that reaches to the heavens. They're saying, let's aim ourselves high. Let's be like God. Let's stick our head in the clouds. We'll be prideful and arrogant and puffed up. The other thing is that in the ancient world, when someone would build a tower, it was actually because that was something to be worshipped. It was a statue of a God that people would literally bow down to, sell their lives for and worship. And so by building themselves a tower that reaches to the heavens, they're saying, yeah, I'm worthy of praise. I'm worthy of worship. I'm just like God. No big deal. Third thing, so that we may make a name for ourselves. They're all linked together, so don't think that they're, they're too disjointed, but so that we can make a name for ourselves. Now, friends, the thing is, Genesis 1 when God creates us in his own image, we already have a name. Literally, to be image bearers, to be reflectors of God's glory and beauty and majesty, to be co-regents. We already had a name. And so here again, we misunderstand the character of God. We misunderstand his promise. And the effects are horrible. We already had been given a name. With a name comes a purpose often in the ancient world. And our name was to spread, to carry, to extend, and to continue, but to do it outwards, not upwards. To partner with God, to spread outwards, to fill the earth, 
not to reach upwards. We already had God. And then the fourth part of verse 4 is this fear, otherwise we'll be scattered over the earth. Anyone else looking back in on this story, just like, yeah, duh, that's exactly what God asked you to do. Otherwise, we'll be scattered. Walter Brueggemann, this scholar who Mike's been referencing a lot, he makes this point that there are two types of unity that are revealed to us in this story. The first type of unity is one that God desires. It's actually one that allows for and encourages scattering. Not this quote, but you can read ahead. Um, There's a unity that encourages and makes room for scattering because he's actually told us to move out, right? But there's also a unity that happens because of fear. Here is the quote. This text suggests a different kind of unity sought by fearful humanity organized against the purposes of God. This unity attempts to establish a cultural human oneness without reference to the threats, promises, or mandates of God. This one is a self-made unity in which humanity has a fortress mentality. It seeks to survive by its own resources. It's a unity grounded in fear and characterized by coercion. A human unity without the vision of God's will is likely to be ordered in oppressive conformity. And finally, it will all be in vain. And so if we look at our text tonight from this perspective, through the lens of our question, what's wrong with aiming high? Their aiming high is out of fear. It's out of resistance to God's purpose for the flourishing of creation. The people are fearful of spreading out, of leaving what is safe and comfortable and familiar. Proverbs 14, 12 again, there's a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way to death. This tower is an attempt at self-serving unity. It's in direct resistance to God's scattering activity, God's type of unity. They miss something important here. Because unity, at its core, is actually about faithfulness to God. Unity is about faithfulness to God, not sameness to one another. Let me say that again. Unity is about faithfulness to God, not about sameness to one another. And then we get to verse 5. If you turn this whole, I don't know, I'm a visual person. So if you turn this whole chunk of scripture like sideways, actually what happens is this parallel for this um, verse 1 to 9. So 1 and 9 are quite similar. 2 and 8 are quite similar. 3 and 4, 6 and 7 are quite similar. And then 5 right in the middle is this like hinge point of our story. Um, you can probably research that and explain it in a much better way than that. But it's this, this turning point of the story, and it's actually a moment of comic relief. Gosh, God has a good sense of humor, which I am very grateful for because life would be very serious if it was just up to me. But God comes in here, verse 5, interrupts this narrative with a beautiful, beautiful, awful joke. And I think of it in a similar way to God's question to Adam in the garden of where are you? Or like when Pastor Mike pointed out last week, when God remembered Noah. God's not asking where Adam is because he lost him and he's trying to find him. He didn't have to remember Noah because he forgot Noah. And here in verse 5 where it says, But the Lord came down to see the city and the tower the people were building. He didn't come down 
because he is so impressed by human achievement. He didn't come down either because he's so distant and removed and far off from the whole scenario. No. God, laughing at the people, he comes down to remind us that he alone is God. That he is the only one who is so much higher and further above and better and more beautiful than anything, than anything humanity could try and build for themselves. The Lord came down to see what the people were building, this tiny little tower that they were so proud of. Hmm. Verse 6. The Lord said, If as one people speaking the same language they have begun to do this, then nothing they plan to do will be impossible for them. Nothing will be impossible for them is such an intriguing statement by God. Can we claim this as saying that the tower could have been used for something good? That maybe they were trying to like build themselves up really high so that when they proclaim the gospel, more people further away would have been able to hear them because of like voice projection and all that stuff. I don't know. Is that what's happening here? Sometimes we might phrase it like, oh no, God, if I just work three more Sundays, then after that I'll have enough money and I won't have to miss church anymore. Oh, God, yeah, no, they're not really a Christian, like, but, you know, like, you want me to be not lonely, so I'm just going to hang out with them anyway. It's another one of those half-truths. And the answer is no, this tower couldn't have been used for good because actually what Mike pointed out last week was beautiful, that in and of itself, humanity has never, can never, will never be able to save itself or set itself right. Hard truth, maybe, but truth nonetheless. So what is God saying is impossible then? Not impossible. Nothing evil will be impossible for men if they stay together. And I think we could all name a bunch of kind of out there evils, but if we're honest, it has to start with us. Now this G.K. Chesterton quote, I know it's been um, used quite a bit in our midst, but it's so true. When asked, what's wrong with the world? He has the humility to write back to the, the editor and say, I am. I'm what's wrong. Okay, just as a quick sidebar. I thought of one verse that says, um, with man this is impossible, but not with God. With God, all things are possible. And I have often used this or heard this misused and out of context. And when I actually re- reread it, What Jesus is saying is impossible with humanity is only one thing. It's salvation. Everything evil is possible for humanity. Everything. But the one thing that we can never do is save ourselves. That's kind of wild and beautiful. God is the only one who can achieve salvation. And friends, even back in Genesis, that's what he's already working towards. Verse 7, come let us go down and confuse their language. They, they will not understand each other. So the Lord scattered them from there, verse 8, all over the earth, and they stopped building the city. And this forced separation of humanity from Babel, this confusing of language, not only that they can't understand each other, but other translations will put it, they can't hear each other. What he's doing is a few things. 
Firstly, this is an act of God's mercy more than it is of his judgment. He knows that if we stay together, if we keep speaking one language, all we're going to do is evil and we're actually going to self-destruct. But in his mercy, he sends everybody out. He gives them different languages that they can't continue to do the same thing. And the beautiful thing in this is he's teaching us how to hear his voice. Instead of listening to one another and building ourselves up, speaking evil and doing all of these evil things, he's teaching us, no, listen to me. Learn to hear my voice. I want to be the one that governs and guards and leads your life. And so dividing humanity with language and scattering them then geographically puts a check on the power of our sinful nature and shows us that God uses it all. He uses our sin. He uses our selfishness. He uses it all to achieve his purpose of being known in the whole world. Remember that his mandate to us still hasn't changed. It's still to be fruitful, to multiply, and to fill the earth. And verse 9, that's why it's called Babel, because there the Lord confused the language of the whole world, and from there the Lord scattered them over the face of the earth. Friends, God always accomplishes that which he sets out to do. His word never returns void or empty, Isaiah 55 tells us. Habakkuk 2 tells us that the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. You think we'd learn to get on board a little bit quicker. John Piper says the languages of the world are judgment, are the judgment of God on sin, and they are designed by God for the global glory of Jesus Christ. And it's a reminder that even our worst moments, God is still transforming and redeeming for his glory and for beautiful things. Because like I said, our mandate is still the same. Jesus restates it in the Great Commission. Let me paraphrase it like this. He says, go out into all the world, reach every nation, every tribe, every tongue, every people group. But don't build towers. Don't make your name great. Make my name great. Baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Spirit and teach them not to fear not self-serving unity, not how to aim high, not to make a name for themselves. Teach them obedience. Teach them how to obey every command that I've given them. Teach them to keep going out, to keep being fruitful, to keep multiplying, and to keep covering the earth. Why? Because I'll be with you. Ultimately, friends, the scattering of people and this confusing of language at Babel was beautifully reversed when the Holy Spirit came upon the church in the upper room in Acts 2. It's a whole sermon for another time. But as they gathered in unity to hear God's voice, not their own, they're filled with the Spirit and they begin to speak in other languages again. And not only this, the most wonderful part of this is that not only do they speak in other languages, they say, what's going on? We can hear each other. We can hear each other speak again. In learning to hear God's voice, they've now learned to hear each other again. Relationship is restored. Reconciliation happens. As Kristen said beautifully before, both vertically and horizontally. What was lost in the garden, what was swept away in the flood, what was scattered and confused at a tower. And for everything in my life and your life that is still not as it should be. 
we actually get to anticipate a day where God will be most glorified because of every single language, because of every single tribe and nation and people, because of every scenario that was purposed for evil, but God is repurposing for good. Will you stand with me as we finish? Revelation 7, 9 says, After this I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count, from every nation, tribe, people, and language. Redemption. They're all standing before the throne and before the Lamb, Jesus. They were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands. Welcome to Palm Sunday. And they cried out in a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. The good news of Jesus is that Jesus, God, came down to us. We didn't have to build a tower up to Him. He came down to us. He lived a life that you and I couldn't. He died a death that you and I deserved. And in being raised to life, He made a way for us not to aim high, but to be lifted high, to be restored to relationship with our Creator. And so back to our question, what's wrong with aiming high? Maybe nothing, depending on how you look at it. Maybe you've had a few helpful things that you're able to piece together with that tonight. But let me leave you with a rephrase of that same question. What's better than aiming high? Who's better than aiming high? Because friends, to see more people more like Jesus, to become a people who are more like Jesus, we actually need to be able to answer this question and answer it well. What's better than aiming high for you? Why does your life look like that? Why did you say no to that promotion? Why did you not take up that opportunity for a relationship? Why do you sacrifice a Sunday afternoon when you could be getting double pay to come to church? What's better than aiming high? Jesus is. Obedience is. Faithfulness to God and His Word is. Because we have a world building towers. We have a world making plans. We have a world walking ways that only lead to death. And what they need to see is a people who are fully convinced that Jesus is better, that He's sweeter, that He's more beautiful than anything else that they could imagine. We're going to have a time of prayer afterwards. And if anything has resonated with you, the worship, anything, please come and see me or Cal. But um, let's, let's pray to finish together and then we'll continue in worship. Father, I thank you for the truth of your word, that even a story written literally thousands of years ago still has so much to say to us. God, I thank you that you come and you meet us in our striving. You meet us in our struggle. You meet us in our building. And tonight you offer us a different narrative. Thank you that you're a place we can come and rest, where we can stop striving, we can stop trying, we can stop building where we can be found in you. And so we take up that invitation tonight to fix our eyes off the things of this world, off the plans and purposes that we've tried to establish for ourselves. And we fix them back on you tonight, Father. Create in us a clean heart. Restore to us the joy of your salvation. Make us a little bit more like Jesus than what we walked in here feeling like. For your glory, God. For your name.
for a good, for the good of a world who desperately needs to know you too. Amen. Let's continue in worship. <laughs> 